If you've been around uh, BPC for a while, you know our story. You know that a hundred years ago, there was a woman who had a heart for the children that were down on the other side of town and said, we are going to do something. We must reach out to these kids because they need to be cared for. And so our church has always been about children. It's woven into the DNA of who we are. And one of the things that I'm most proud of of our church is seeing how this continues in our congregation, not only in our children's ministry, but also through those who have been called to adopt. And maybe you are here today or you know somebody here uh, that you're connected to that needs to hear the possibility of what does it mean for us to care, particularly for orphans. Um, very proud of the Perkins. And uh, out in the connector hallway today, uh, another of our families who's adopted, the Littletons, uh, are there and would love to talk with you, uh, share a little bit of their story, and if God would call you or pass on some information to somebody else, you can change someone's life. I've been very open with you. I'm also adopted. If it wasn't for somebody reaching out and caring for me, I don't think that you would have the same pastor today. So we can make a difference in kids' lives, and I pray that you would consider that. All right, so as I said, we're going to take a look at this really cool passage today, but let me start by telling you, a while ago I went to go and pick up some outdoor furniture, or at least I hoped, and I thought, well, I'm going to go and find these things on sale. You know, at the end of the season, I'm going to go and see if there's something at Walmart. I checked online, and online in the inventory, they said, yes, there's two or three of these things left. Don't trust that, okay? So I go up to Walmart, and of course, there's none there. But you know what I find instead? A whole room of Christmas stuff. Now, I'm telling you, this is not like a week ago. This was September. There is a whole room of Christmas things. And I'm thinking, I want outdoor chairs, and you've got Christmas. Some of us may celebrate that, not me on that day, okay? So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I am a guy who that, if you start putting up Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving, it's just a little bit early. Okay, now I saw many of my neighbors out just yesterday and the day before putting up stuff, mostly because it was warm weather and they wanted to get it out. But again, I just, I'd like, mm, I'd like it better if it comes after Thanksgiving. But here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to make an exception today. We're going to unpack a little bit of our Christmas stuff as a church because there is a message that is so fitting for this moment that we find ourselves in, this moment of uncertainty, of strife, of division that I just thought, oh my goodness, Lord, it just seems to make sense for us uh, to, to share this. Okay, so here. Probably like most of you at home, we have a manger scene at home. So I brought a few of our manger scene items. And of course, if you've got a manger scene at home, of course you've got the baby Jesus, right? Okay? And you've got Mary. And let's see, where is he? Somewhere in here. Uh, I guess I, oh, there he is. And Joseph, right? And then you probably have some wise men, and then you've got the shepherds, and then of course you've got the dragon, right? 
Wait, what? You don't have a dragon in your, your manger set? Actually, if you're familiar with your Bible, right, and someone were to say to you, hey, would you please read me the Christmas story? You'd probably turn over to Luke, you'd turn over to Matthew, and you'd read them, those gospel passages. But did you know that there actually is another account that offers a depiction of Christmas in the Bible? It's directly out of the book of Revelation. And in some ways, it's a bit more, oh, I don't know, of, a, of an adult version. Um, if you look at Matthew and Luke, they kind of offer uh, a human perspective of what was happening. But this book of Revelation turns the camera upward and shows us God's perspective of what was happening in that moment outside of time. Uh, and it's important that not only do we know these other versions, but we know this one as well, in particular because it was written to a group of people who were suffering, who were going through a difficult time and needed to be reminded, God is in charge. Not too very different from where we find ourselves this morning. This group of people, they were dealing with, watch this, racial strife. They were dealing with political tension and they were dealing with the pandemic, okay, the triple whammy that we find ourselves in right now. But on top of this, this group of people also were dealing with persecution. Uh, they were dealing with a Roman Empire who was beginning to persecute the church, and some of them had even lost their lives. And so this passage was written to the church at the time to offer them encouragement and hope. And the message that God offered the church 2,000 years ago is the same message that the church, I think, needs to be reminded of today. And so, let's open our hearts to what God has to say to us. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me over to Revelation chapter 12. Now, I want to highly encourage you that if you are at home, open your Bible as well. Even though it's going to be on the screen, I am literally going to walk through this passage and I'm just going to warn you, if you've never read through the book of Revelation or even not been there in a while, this is going to sound a little crazy, and it's going to sound even just strange, which is all the more reason why you need to see it and read it a few times. Um, but I promise you that in the end, it's all going to make amazing, encouraging sense. All right, so if you're ready, Revelation 12, starting in verse 1, it says this. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of 
for 1,260 days. Okay, I told you it's going to be a little confusing, right? Because this is a form of writing we're not used to. This, the scholars will call this apocalyptic. Apocalyptic doesn't simply mean end times. It literally means unveiling. And so like I told you, this is God's unveiling of his perspective, particularly of what was happening in Jesus being born. Okay, now if we're going to understand this, we're going to need to understand what some of these symbols that are used in this passage. At the time, a first century Jewish person would have seen these symbols, would have known exactly what they were referring to, and it's just kind of shorthand. Well, not so with us. We're not quite as fluent. And so I'm going to walk us through each one of these symbols, and then we're going to begin to put them back together, okay? So what do we have? We've got a woman, we've got a dragon, and we've got a baby. Let's, let's deal with this woman first. The first sign that John writes about is this woman. John, who records the scene, he says that this woman is clothed with the sun. Okay, picture this. Clothed with the sun and under her feet is the moon, and on her head are 12 stars. Now, that is an amazing, an important image. Why? Because this is not, okay, obviously, we look at this and we say, well, that must refer to Mary. Yes, but John says it's a sign. So if this is not only Mary, what is it? It's also the church. Okay, all who bear Jesus. See, we bear Jesus through the Holy Spirit within us. And this is a picture of the church and the way that God sees you this morning, church. You are beautiful. You are so beautiful. You are connected to this and God sees and has endowed you with power. And we need to see ourselves. You know, sometimes I think in the church, we look ourselves in the mirror and we say, you know what? We're not all that beautiful. You know, because we know we got divisions and we've got other stuff going on. But you know what? You are beautiful. And sometimes we think we don't have power. You've got power, says God. The rest of the stuff that it looks like the world has all kinds of power, God says the church truly is the one that has this under her feet, that has the sun behind her. Why? Because you bear Jesus Christ. You bear the only true power in the whole of the universe together in imbibed with the Holy Spirit. All right. These 12 stars represent the church's connection to the 12 tribes of Israel. And here this woman is pregnant. Uh, and, and after she gives birth to this baby, she flees into the wilderness for 1,260 days, a long time. I'm not going to unpack the numbers today, but what I am going to say is now, this is a picture of the church now we are in the wilderness just as God's people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness longing for the promised land and you and I together are longing for this eternal home saying when God when is it going to happen look at all of this stuff that's happening around us can we just get into the promised land that's the tension that is given here in this picture of this woman wandering challenging wilderness and waiting the next sign that John gives us is this dragon. Now, there's no question who this dragon is in the picture. Uh, it, it is, he says later in verse 9 that this is the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. 
The dragon's color is red, uh, and it has multiple, which is the color of blood. Uh, it has multiple heads, and there's crowns on these heads uh, depicting both wealth and power. And it's absolutely uh, terrifying of a picture. And, and just as the woman was a sign, this dragon also is a sign. It is not a literal dragon. It is a, something that points to Satan and the whole of his power and his army. All right. So finally, there's one final character. John says this woman is a sign. John says the dragon is a sign. Both point to things beyond themselves, but not this third one. The third one says it's, it, it, it's not a sign. It is a literal. There, there is a person who is associated with this literal description uh, because, and we know this is Jesus because it goes on to say, he will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And that's a phrase that comes from Psalm 2. It's one of the most messianic psalms in all of the scriptures. It says that he's going to rule with an iron scepter. And at the time, the most... Uh, powerful or the most uh, uh, strong material known to humanity at the time was iron. And so here, the, the, the description is that this child is going to be king. This child rules over the whole of the earth. Okay, so let's put this all together. You've got this woman who particularly represents Mary, but also the whole of the church. You've got this dragon who represents Satan and all of his armies, and now you've got this child who is Jesus. Once we've got these characters now, now we can begin to go back to the passage and unpack this and see what this hopeful message that God is giving not only to the church 2,000 years ago, but the church today. The woman, she goes into labor, and the scripture says that the dragon is hovering over her, longing to devour the child the moment that he's born. Now, of course, from a human perspective, what's happening at the same time is this. The shepherds are coming. The baby is born. The wise men are on their way. But from a heavenly spiritual perspective, there is a satanic force at work that would love to devour this child. And we know, of course, that there was an incident that happened that, that, that just brought this into focus. Matthew 2, verse 16 says this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. You see, okay, you remember, Herod declares himself king of the Jews. He had no right to that title, but he took it. Jesus, the true king of the Jews, is born. The wise men, the Magi come, and they say, hey, we're here to worship the true king of the Jews. Herod is threatened, and what does he do? He says, go kill all the children in Bethlehem. Kill, kill everybody that looks like they're two years and under because he wanted to wipe out this child. Now, from a human perspective, oh, this was Herod. Herod was maniacal. And God is saying, let me peel back the curtains. Let me show you what was happening behind the scenes from my perspective outside of time. 
You see, Herod wasn't just a maniacal king with power. He was manipulated by spiritual forces at the time that were unseen to us. And this is so important for us to see. He wasn't just a pawn of Rome. He was a pawn of the dragon. And here, here's what we, we need to see. We need to realize all around us, we see the human stuff that's happening. But behind the scene, don't forget that there is a spiritual drama going on. There are spiritual forces at work in world leaders, in the, 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 the schools, in what's happening in our workplaces. And they are being influenced by an unseen realm, both good and evil. And I got to say, this morning, as we emphasize on this day, the care for orphans, the care for children, one of the, the favorite targets of Satan all throughout history has been children. Why? Because they're most vulnerable. They're the most precious to our king. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and Satan does everything in his power to keep that from happening. Now, of course, there was more than just one time in Jesus' life that the dragon tried to devour Jesus. Again, this is a picture outside of time. It wasn't just at his birth. It was later when he was tempted. We read this scripture together in the, 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 the hole that we had on the screen that when he was tempted in the desert. And then, of course, we see also in Gethsemane, but all throughout the whole of his life. And then, of course, on the cross. But the great news is that even though Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I feel temptation to give in, the same way that you and I do because of our sin, he didn't give in. He was victorious going all the way to the cross. And remember, the king didn't stop being king. He could have picked up the iron scepter at any time and then used violence to stop all of it. Instead, what did he do? He laid down his life willingly for us, sacrificing it so that we can be drawn back into fellowship with the Father. So what happens here? Instead of the dragon devouring the child, what we see in verse five, the child is snatched up to God and to his throne. Now you go, wait a minute. Child snatched up the kid. This is John's very shorthand of describing the whole of Jesus' ministry in one sentence. We know Jesus is born. He assumes our humanity in the incarnation. He lives the life we never could live. He dies for humanity. He is raised for humanity. And now he takes our humanity to its rightful place next to the Father back into communion. All of this John summarizes in this one sentence to say that the child is snatched back up to God. All this to say... <laughs> The D-Day invasion that we call Christmas, from God's perspective, established a beachhead here in the spiritual realm again and said, I will build my church upon this rock. Jesus Christ is now going to be reestablishing the kingdom of God, and all who would like to bow their knee are now offered amnesty. And so you and I, together now, are part of this beachhead in this world. The ongoing continuation of this D-Day invasion of this world. And it shouldn't surprise us that we have 
hard pressed on all sides, that we're, we're struck down, but we're not crushed. God won. That's what this picture shows. And Jesus now is snatched up to the Father and reigns on high. And so you say, okay, pastor, if that's the truth, then, then, then why? Why are we experiencing all this stuff? You talked about racial tension. You talked about political division. You talked about pandemic. Why? Well, verse 7. Verse 7 says this. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Okay, before I say anything else, I need to acknowledge that I know that there are some of you who are here today, who are listening online, that the minute that I talk about an unseen spiritual realm, particularly about Satan, you think, oh my goodness, pastor, are you talking about a fairy tale? And I, 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 <laughs> I'm here to tell you, okay, C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes of all time, one of the greatest intellects of the 20th century, absolutely confirmed and believed in a spiritual realm. Uh, and he said, sometimes there are two equal and opposite errors that we make when we talk about the devil. Sometimes we take him far too seriously, and other times we don't take him seriously enough. The devil is happy if you are occupied with him all day long and obsessed with him, and he's also happy if you hardly give him a thought at all. Now, us modern people tend to be toward the second, not giving a thought much at all. But the scripture makes it very clear, Satan is real. There is a spiritual world that is out there, and it helps us to understand what is going on. It helps us to see the, 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 the absolute tension that's in our world is not simply because of our sinfulness. There's more to this picture. The battle breaks out in heaven between Michael, one of the archangels, archangels and, and God's um, forces and the dragon versus Satan and his angels. And they're fighting over what? God's plan for salvation, to bring humanity back into uh, communion with God. Ultimately, Satan is rejected. He is tossed from heaven. He is hurled to the earth along with the stars. Those are the angels. He sweeps along with his tail. They are now falling to the earth and they're wreaking havoc on earth. Why? Because they know they're defeated. They know that their time is coming soon. They know they've lost the battle. The best that they can do is begin to destroy the things that God loves. And what does God love? All of his creation. And especially the church. It should not surprise you that we are assaulted. That we are pressed by spiritual things. And if you've been feeling a lot of this over the last number of months, it's because of these spiritual forces that are at work. And so again, why does our world remain so messed up 
It's not just because of our sinfulness. There are spiritual forces at play. But through it all, Jesus Christ has been ascended to the Father and reigns on the throne. Okay, so again, the whole book of Revelation is written to a group of people who were suffering at the time. Again, experiencing some of the very things that we are challenged with this this time, even more. And all of this was written to them to say that no matter how discouraging it gets, no matter how tension-filled it looks, no matter how out of control and the rip of fabric of society all over the place, God is in control. And God reigns on high. I don't know what you're working through today. I don't know if you're suffering with depression. I don't know if you've not connected with God for a long time. I don't know if you're overwhelmed reading the news. I know I am. God is in control and he is on the throne. That's the message that he gave the people who are suffering and that's the message that God is giving us today so that we could take hope in this and not be discouraged, and not be afraid. And that leads us to the, to, the, to the last part of our passage. So then what are we to do? What are we to do in the midst of all this, this challenge? Well, that's where we pick up here, verse 11. Verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. The way that the church triumphs in the midst of all this strife as we walk through the wilderness is through the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. And we are to love the Lamb so much that we're even willing to lay down our lives for him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to triumph by the blood of the Lamb? What does it mean to triumph through the word of our testimony? Maybe the easiest way I can describe this is to contrast it with the way of the dragon. To, to contrast the way of the dragon with the way of the Lamb. You could call it dragon power versus lamb power, okay? Dragon power is power that yields itself over others. It forces people to do things. It pushes them. Lamb power is power given for others. It seeks to empower and uplift others. The best example that we look to is Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. He had all the power in the full of the universe, and could have, but instead he laid it down in love to uplift us. That's lamb power. Now, I don't need to tell you the season we just went through with the election, uh, but even before this, the world is primarily about dragon power. The world will take power one from the other. They, the world will use name calling. They will try to manipulate each other. They will use accusations. They will use power grabs. And the intent of each side might say, but I really want the best in the end. But if you use means that are of the dragon, ultimately scripture says what you're doing will fail. And ultimately it will taint everything that you're trying to do because ultimately you are enslaved 
to the spiritual forces around you. When Christians rely upon the agencies of power where somehow we say, we're, 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 we want to achieve the spiritual ends, but we, we use, we tie ourselves to a political leader or we, we, we tie ourselves to legislation for change or sinful, those things are good. But we have to be careful because ultimately we could be flirting very closely with the way of the dragon. But we learn from Revelation and so many other places in Scripture that the way of the church is not the way of the dragon. The way of the church is lamb power. Lamb power is completely the opposite. Lamb power is suffering love. Lamb power is laying down our lives in service of others. And of course, we care about healing the world. Of course, we care about advancing God's kingdom. But the means that we do so are just as important as the message that we bring. So we don't use manipulation. We don't use force. We don't use power grabs. And we never malign somebody else who's made in the image of God. Jesus never did, and nor should his church. So whatever unrest, whatever violence may await us in the coming days as followers of Jesus, we have to commit ourselves fully to this way of the Lamb, the way of peace. Not to demonize other people, but to reject violence. To lay down our lives for others, even our enemies, even as Jesus did. Lamb power is the true way of victory. It looked like defeat on that Friday, but on Sunday, it was true victory. Because true victory only comes from the one who holds the power of victory. So look, this is not to say that we should withdraw from the world, just the opposite. We should engage. We should be participants within the political realm. But how we do so is to employ the power of the Lamb through our commitments of love as we follow Jesus, serving other people, giving of ourselves, laying down our time, our money, our talents, giving them away for others. So when Jesus was born into this world, the angels announced peace on earth, goodwill to all of humanity, to anybody who will bow their knee to this king. There's amnesty now. You may have peace. There's forgiveness. But from a heavenly perspective, there was much more going on. Again, it was God's D-Day invasion, and that invasion worked. This is just the cleanup. This is just the working it out. And as we go about this and we look around us, we need to remember the lamb was victorious over the dragon. In fact, would you say it with me? The lamb was victorious over the dragon. One more time. The lamb was victorious over the dragon. Okay? Here, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but we're not destroyed. Why? Because you are on the winning side. Even if somehow you lose your life in this process, 
You are a child of the king. You participate in the resurrection. Take heart because the season is almost over. Not the pandemic. Not the season of political tension. Not the division in our country. But the true division. The division between heaven and earth will soon be over. And we will rest and be brought into the fullness of God's eternal heavenly kingdom. That is what you're truly longing for. So rejoice because one day that will be yours. And until that day, let's together as the church walk forward with lamb power. That's the way to be victorious in this life. Okay? Let's pray. Father, Oh my goodness, how wonderful it is to see this strange but beautiful picture. Thank you for entrusting us to, to see your perspective of all this. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to somehow reject the ways of the world that are not of Jesus. Help us to think biblically, Lord, and, and, and to function as citizens of your kingdom first. And it seems so counterintuitive, God, to be about lamb power, to lay down our lives, to serve others, to not be on the attack in ways that malign or, God forbid, do violence. It looks like those ways win, Lord. But we can see that Jesus Christ is the one who won true victory. He is the one who holds the true power. His is the one that we follow. His example is our example. Help us to be about lamb power and help us proclaim lamb power to a world that needs to see that this is true victory. This is true way to life, especially during a time when the world needs healing and needs to see Jesus Christ. Help us to be that picture of Jesus. And so, Father, thank you now. As we go from here, help us to be those who remember that you're on the throne. And as those who walk triumphantly in the power of the Lamb and your word. Amen.